Procrastinating, a term most often used by the millennial generation, is a method of putting something off, delaying, or postponing something by taking part in the act of baking. to Procrastibaking, a place to talk about our baking obsession and avoid doing everything else. Coming to you from Southern California, I'm Louisa. And from Eastern North Carolina, I'm Rachel. Welcome, Rachel. Welcome, Lou. It's good to be back. I know. It is good to be back. We took a little hiatus because I birthed a human in the past few months. How exciting. I know. She's been lovely. I had my daughter, Claudia, in November of 2020. And so the past few months have been learning how to adjust with a newborn in the house. And she's a lot of fun. Also does not sleep in long stretches yet. Well, that's a lie. (laughs) Recently, right around like two months, she started sleeping in like five to six hour stretches, which is awesome. But during the day, at the beginning, at least, she was only sleeping like 30 minutes at a time. And that made baking very difficult, let me tell you, because I would start putting out my ingredients on the counter and then baby would cry because she was hungry. And to bake like one thing, it was like the course of a whole day, whereas before I could do it in like an hour or two. So I had to learn to adjust, but now she's sleeping longer. So my baking game is coming back, I think. (laughs) I have noticed you've been doing a lot more baking lately. Yeah. I'm trying to keep it simple, like cookies, um, quick projects, you know, I'm not, I don't, not making chocolate croissants with a, a (laughs) I was going to say no more puff pastry. No more puff pastry with a, with a baby. But yeah, so it's been a lot of fun. We're learning more every day. It's funny because I feel like I learn something about her. Like I learn her schedule or a type of cry that she'll use. And then a couple days later, it's something totally new. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so I have to be changing. Yeah. Cause she's growing and developing so fast. So yeah, just as, as soon as I, I feel like I've got the handle on something, she surprises me. And it's funny today. I noticed, um, I was feeding her this morning and uh, she was really fidgety and distracted and kept like looking past me. And I was like, what is going on with her? Like she must be hungry. <laughs> And it turns out that I have uh, a tablet sitting on the nightstand next to where I nurse her and she could see her reflection in the tablet. And so, yeah, and that's like her new thing is staring at faces in mirrors and reflective surfaces. So she was like looking and smiling at herself. And because of that, she wasn't eating. (laughs) And (laughs) she's really into herself. So... I thought that was so funny. She hasn't done that before, but now she's more aware of her environment and her surroundings. And with that comes a lot of um, distractibility. So (laughs) we are now, now I know, and I'm going to have to cover the tablet with something or remove it, you (laughs) know, so she doesn't, yeah, I'm like, you're eating right now. This is not the time to check yourself out and smile at yourself. (laughs) Um, But yeah, she's been really cute. So yeah, and that's what I've been up to. What have you been up to? Um, nothing that exciting here. Just working, baking, avoiding doing things. <laughs> <laughs> Always avoiding doing things. Yes. <laughs> yes. Mostly avoiding the laundry. Um, we're still, you know, trying to go out as little as possible. And so we're just looking for things around the house to do, but the weather's been terrible. So just been watching a lot of movies. Yeah. You guys have gotten a lot of cold, really cold, right? Rainy yes. kind of weather. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A lot colder than it was last year this time. Um, have you watched any good movies you would recommend to our listeners or to me? Um, yeah. We recently watched um, Hotel Mumbai, which is the true story of um, some terrorist attacks in the oh. city of Mumbai um, in like 2001, I think. Um, okay. So it, it was very dramatic and moving and scary all at once. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow, that sounds really... It sounds intense, but I, I bet it was it's a really good story. Yeah. 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 Wow. I feel like I should step up my watching <laughs> game because you're watching like really important things about important topics. And I just watched, well, I don't know. I guess this is important, but I just watched the um, Britney Spears documentary on Hulu. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, what is it called? It's called like Framing Britney Spears. It's actually really good. I mean, I bet it is good. I haven't seen it. Yeah, yeah but it is good. It's good. I think it's actually. I think it touched upon like really important topics. It touched upon like mental health. And do you remember like back in the day when she was having a really hard time and you would see like pictures of her in the media, like when she shaved her head and I was just going to say, I remember the head shaving. Yeah. 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 So the documentary kind of looks at all of that with a different lens now that we're more sensitive to things like mental health and um, just the way she was like manipulated by her team and her family and really struggled, like how she got to that point. And now, now she's like under some kind of um, conservatorship, meaning like she has no true control over her own life, apparently. Like oh. her, yeah, she was deemed like She's got like a guardian. Wow. Yes, she does. And so she doesn't, she's not allowed to make her own business deals, but they were questioning, you know, whether that was necessary because she's shown over the years that she's, kind of healed from treatment and now seems very capable to live her own life. But it was very interesting. So I would recommend framing Britney Spears on Hulu. I don't work for Hulu. Sounds like I'm like (laughs) (laughs) sponsored by Hulu. No, it's not. That would be nice. Wouldn't it be nice though? I would love to have sponsors for a show someday. That would be fun. King Arthur. If you're listening. Yes, if you're listening. Hello. <laughs> Who else would you want? Who's on like your dream list of sponsors? Oh, sponsors? Yeah. Um, you know, I feel like we would fit in really well with Pillsbury because they do like the Bake Off every year, which is like home bakers. Oh. Submitting their best recipes with like their convenience products. So I feel like <laughs> we would probably fit in really well with them. Yeah, that sounds right up our alley. All right, Pillsbury. <laughs> we are waiting. And King Arthur. King Arthur. Just in case. So it's like the two spectrums. Like we try the fancy <laughs> desserts and then we also, you know, bake with canned biscuits. So, you know. <laughs> Someone <laughs> needs to make a, like a baking, what am I trying to say? Like a spectrum of like fancy baking. And then I guess, would it be Pillsbury's on one end and King Arthur? King Arthur on the other. <laughs> Whatever else. In King Arthur. And I would say like, have you noticed this? I was having a conversation with someone about the New York Times recipes. We were talking with my friends, um, Diana and Jake, the other day. And Jake was um, our guest who talked about making sourdough in season one. And uh, we were talking about where he got the recipe. And he said that the first time that he had made sourdough, he was using um, a recipe from the New York Times and just mentioned that it was like really hard to follow. And that sometimes it feels like I don't know, like the the way the instructions were given, like they try to make it seem fancier than it needs to be. So yes. it just comes off really confusing. Yeah. Have you had the same experience with their recipes? So a couple of them, more with their cooking recipes than with their baking ones. I feel like their baking ones I've had a little bit of success with, but sometimes their cooking ones, there's like so many steps and you're like, yeah. okay, so really I'm just, you know, doing one simple thing, but they've broken it down into like 10 steps. And I feel like it's, it's made to look complicated to like appeal to a certain demographic. Absolutely. Yeah. I kind of feel similarly. I will in a few episodes talk about a recipe that I used for a bake from the New York times. And it was just really, it was really hard to follow. (laughs) Um, And it was such a simple recipe, but just a lot of extra wording. I don't know. So I forget why I started telling this story. (laughs) Oh dear. Raul, you can edit this part out. Why did I start talking about the New York Times? Fun, where they fall on the spectrum, probably. Oh, yeah. All of this to say that I feel like maybe they would be on the other end, you know, yes. with King Arthur. But I almost don't even want to put them there because. Yeah. Cause I, I just, feel like King Arthur's at least got that like approachable vibe. Like, yes. They're more professional, but they're like a friendly brand, I feel like. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. I don't feel like. I'm an intruder when I'm looking on their website. Yeah. And <laughs> when New York I Times has a firewall, a paywall, I mean. Yes, they do. Yeah. Yeah. I always kind of feel like I'm not cool enough to be in the New York Times cooking and baking club because I don't have that kind of technique and skill level. But Pillsbury's where I'm at, I guess. <laughs> 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 or Nestle Toll House. I could do the. Yes. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Nestle would be the one. The recipe's on the back of their chocolate chips bag. Anyway, this was quite a tangent, but it's been such a long time since we've recorded like this, so it's long overdue. Definitely. 
why don't we do sweet and lows? So it's time for sweet and lows where we discuss our baking highlights and low spots since our last episode. Rachel, why don't you start us off? So I still am maintaining my addiction to Midwest made salted double chocolate chewies. Um, mm. I've probably made them once a month since I discovered them, usually like as a gift or for a special event, like a work party or something for somebody's birthday. They're, they've become like my go-to fancy cookie. Very nice. Everyone needs a go-to fancy cookie. Um, <laughs> you do. It's like you need your little black dress for... That's exactly what I was going to say. They're like the little black dress of the cookie world. <laughs> um, those cookies are really good. I've only made them the one time you shared the recipe with me. Oh, but they were so good. And they, they were are so good. So my high, I guess, was discovering that the dough freezes really well. So last time I made them, um, I made like a double batch and kept the dough in the freezer for just whenever I felt like I wanted like two of them. Very so nice. that's been nice. I made a couple batches of mini muffins for my staff um, birthday okay. um, last week, I think it was. And they turned out really well. I was really worried about them looking at the batter. Um, I really like this recipe. It's Brave Tarts Muffin Mix. And so she gives you like a template recipe. And then she gives you like ways to change out the flour. Like if you want an oatmeal base, or if you want to add a banana or, you know, add a cup of nuts or whatever you want to add, there's like all kinds of twists and tweaks you can make to the recipe. Cool. But as I was making it, it was like looking really lumpy. And I was like, oh, this is not going to be good. Um, but they, they all turned out really good. They were all pretty moist. And the flavor, I made two batches and divided them into four bowls and like added different mix-ins to each one. So they got like a bunch of different flavor mini muffins. Mm-hmm. And the weird thing was, though, I made the one batch was chocolate and one batch wasn't. And the batch that didn't have chocolate, I used um, like cupcake liners. And I was planning to take them out of the cupcake liners to serve them. But they were soaked in oil. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. Wait, the cupcake liner was soaked in oil? Yeah. Like after the muffins baked, like the, their wrapper was just like soaked. Oh. And there was even oil in the pan. Like I had to wipe out the pan between batches because there was a greasy film in the bottom of the pan. Ooh. So you weren't able to take them. You had to just serve them like that then, yeah? Yeah, I had to take them out of the wrappers, and, which, I mean, was fine, but it was just bizarre. That is bizarre. So. Ooh, a baking mystery. Yeah, <laughs> who knows? Mystery you know of the, the oily muffin liner. And then I have a low in progress, I think, right now. Um, I have some <laughs> dough chilling in the fridge for an upcoming um, Around the World segment, and it's not going very well. So it might be a couple takes to get that made right. <laughs> oh, no. This is a new one for us, a low in progress. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> hasn't been completed. The mistake has not been <laughs> fulfilled yet, but it's... <laughs> it just does not look right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw that picture you sent me, and maybe it can be salvaged. I, I, yeah, it's very loose. So I put it in the freezer to see if anything happens make it where I can shape it. Okay. Well, now I'm waiting in anticipation to see if, if this can be rectified. If we can turn this low into a sweet somehow. <laughs> into a sweet, I don't know. Or at least a meh. <laughs> <laughs> a meh. <laughs> so how about you? What's been going on in your kitchen? Well, I, as I mentioned before, my baking has been mostly cookies because they are faster to make. Um, and I have been really enjoying baking from the 100 cookies book. Yes. I know we're going to talk about that more a little bit later in this episode, but I have made two uh, recipes from that book so far and I love it. I'm really happy with the way they turned out. So I'm really excited to talk about that a little bit more later in this episode. Um, besides that, I made a good bit of different things over the holidays so I have been wanting to make these ginger cookies. My dad really loves these these ginger cookies that he grew up eating in Puerto Rico. And when my mom was here, we both got like a really weird craving for for ginger, for ginger cookies, like ginger everything, really. She made me ginger tea and we were like, let's make ginger cookies. And so I found a recipe online by a Puerto Rican woman who made them. And according to my mom, they seemed pretty close to what she remembers having in Puerto Rico. Nice. Um, yeah. So my dad is coming to visit next week and I am planning to make them again for him to get, you know, his, his approval to see if they're actually good. That sounds good. I love ginger. Me too. Ginger's amazing. Are they chewy cookies? They're not. They're actually really, um, crunchy. And I don't normally 
like that in a cookie, but for some reason, this doesn't bother me. Interesting. Well, I've had like ginger snaps and those are crunchy. Yeah, this is, I think, similar to that. So yeah, they're really crunchy. Nice. Oh, I know we always talk about chai. We always love using chai and things. So over the holidays, I made a chai apple pie, which turned out really well. And I um, made the pie with the lattice for the first time, which was super fun to do. And yeah, that was really delicious. What else have I made? Was the lattice hard? The lattice was a little hard. I have to say I I had a mold that I bought at, I think it was Michael's, like a, a pattern mold. So you just like put the dough in there and it, it comes out looking oh, like nice cool. and braided. Yeah, it was really cool. So that made it really easy to give it a nice fun look without me having to do too much with it. Yeah, and that's pretty much it. I'm looking forward to, I'm sticking with my cookie baking trend. So I'm looking forward to just going more into that 100 cookies book and tackling some more recipes. Sounds good. Oh, I also have a low though. What's that? Well, I should should I save it? It's about my cake that I made for today's episode. Oh, I think you can go ahead. Okay, that would that would be my low. So everything else that I've made has turned out great. I think those are all sweets. My low is the cake that I made for today's episode, mostly because I don't know. Isn't it like disappointing when you think you're going to get something like amazing and then it's just kind of lukewarm? Like, yeah, it's not terrible. Yeah, it's almost like in some ways it's easier to accept when I like totally bomb something (laughs) (laughs) versus like when I get something that's to me seems kind of mediocre. So and I'll you know, I'll go into more detail a little bit later about my sheet cake, but just putting it out there that it was not spectacular. And it was probably the most, one of the more complicated things. I mean, sheet cakes are pretty easy, but compared to the cookies, it was a little more complicated, took more steps. So um, since having the baby, so I was like really looking forward to having something turn out really well. And then it didn't. And um, that's disappointing. Yeah, I know. And it's, I don't know if it's like post baby hormones or something, but now when I have these baking fails, I like cry. I like feel really sad about it. And it's like, I know. And it's like freaking dough and sugar. Like I have to, (laughs) I have to find a balance. I just get so invested now. I'm like, oh, this is going to be amazing. But I have to give myself grace. I will get there. Um, Yeah. I'm working with less time and an extra baby, an extra baby and a newborn baby. So (laughs) not an extra baby. I didn't have one already. Um, Yeah. So we'll see. I'll get there. You will. Lou, you hinted to it a little bit, talking about your cake. Um, as you know, this is our birthday episode of Procrastinating. We have officially been airing episodes for one year. Happy birthday, Procrastinating Podcast. Yes, happy birthday. Um, we both love trivia, so I thought it'd be fun to explore first birthday traditions around the world. Are you ready? Ooh, yes. So in what country are extra long noodles served when celebrating a first birthday? <laughs> Um, the noodles are meant to wish the child an extra long life. Oh, that's sweet. Uh, would it be, I'm thinking maybe an Asian country, China? Ding, ding, ding. Yay. Oh, that's sweet. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was cute. In what part of the world do people set different objects in front of a one-year-old and what they choose predicts what they will be in life? For example, a mirror means they will be vain or a pen means they will be a good learner. Is this... Uh, an Asian tradition? It is. Yeah. I've heard of this um, being done. My friend Eve actually did this for her son's 100 day party. Yeah. I think that's such a sweet tradition. Yeah. It was very popular when we were in Korea too. Very cool. Okay. Well, you were on a roll. Where is a one-year-old's head shaved to cleanse them of any past life wickedness? Is this India? Wow, look at you. <laughs> I I also saw when I um, visited my friend Sonia, we saw this being done at a temple, which was also really cool. So, yeah. Okay, last one. Um, because some may consider this more of an anniversary celebration rather than a birthday. Do you know what the first anniversary gifts are, the traditional and modern? Oh, this one is the one that I don't know, but the one that you would think I would know, maybe. (laughs) Um, 
I know. Is it? I don't know. Is it paper? Yes. Papers. Okay. And then Papers traditional. Traditional. Now the mo- modern. I don't know what it would be. So it's a clock. Oh. Which is bizarre to me because we all have like built-in clocks like everywhere we go. <laughs> yeah, I would not want that as a gift, really. No, me either. <laughs> Husbands, pay attention. Well, I guess it doesn't matter now because we have both been married yeah, we're many years. But that's weird. Yeah, I thought so too. Just putting it out there. Don't don't buy us clocks at any point in time. <laughs> we, don't, we don't want them. <laughs> Maybe make us a clock-shaped cake. I don't know. <laughs> make us a cake. Yeah, that would be better. Uh, that was fun. Yeah, I love trivia. So, okay, so speaking of birthday cake, we thought it only appropriate to go bake in the day and give a little history and info on several different types of cake. Sponge cake, genois, chiffon, and pound cake. So if it's okay with you, Rachel, I'll give a little overview about what I learned and then we can talk about all of the cakes that you made (laughs) in one day. (laughs) Absolutely. I am very ready to hear this. (laughs) Okay, so I did a little research, and it turns out that of these four cakes, three of them are very similar. They're like in the same cake family. And so essentially, from what I read, there are two main categories of cakes. You have your butter cakes and your foam cakes. And so the genoise, the sponge, and the chiffon are all variations of foam cakes, while the pound cake is a butter cake. And genoise and chiffon are both kind of types of sponge. So, um, and a sponge cake at its core is really all about eggs. So it's a really light and airy cake and you're getting the texture and the volume, the structure of the cake by creating egg foams by whipping the eggs and the egg whites. And a sponge cake will have no fat added to it besides what you're already getting in the egg yolks. And um, another characteristic is that you are separating the egg whites and the yolks and you're beating them separately and adding them in separately. So with the Genois cake, I learned that that's basically a sponge, but you're adding butter to it. Mm -hmm. And with the chiffon cake, you are also beating the yolks and the whites separately, but you're adding in oil and a leavening agent like a baking soda or baking powder. So out of all of them, the chiffon seemed to be the most flavorful on its own, um, while like a sponge is just like egg whites and sugar. So it tends to be more plain, um, but it's okay because what you're using that cake for is in recipes where you're adding like liqueurs or juices that need to be soaked up. So you almost want like a plain cake base to complement like more complicated flavors that you're adding to it. Um, That makes sense. Yeah. So on the other side, you have the pound cake, which is like the most basic of all of these that we are talking about today. And I thought it was funny. Apparently that's it's called pound cake because that's literally it literally back in the day was like a pound of flour a pound of sugar. So you didn't need a recipe, just a pound of whatever. Yeah, like the ratio (laughs) was consistent. So obviously that would make a ginormous cake. So now like we've adjusted the amount, but the ratio I think is still pretty consistent, like a one-to-one to to one-to-one ratio. Um, Yeah, and so pound cakes are, because they're butter cakes, they're more dense. They have um, a lot of flavor to them already. So you don't, necessarily need to add a lot of uh, fancy topping. They tend to be more simple. So that's pretty much all I learned. Did I add everything in? Oh, another thing that I noticed that they really emphasize is the importance of folding in these ingredients versus stirring it. I always think about, did you watch Schitt's Creek, Rachel? I did not, no. Mm, I think I highly recommend you watch this at some point. But there's, for all of the Schitt's Creek's, Schitt's Creek fans, there's an episode where Moira and David are making, um, what are they making, like chili? And part of the instructions is that they have to fold in the cheese. <laughs> and, neither, and neither one of them wants to admit that they don't know what that means. <laughs> um, but with these types of cakes, with sponge cakes, you definitely have to fold in the ingredients because you need to keep that airy consistency so if you are stirring it, you're going to reduce that 
the airiness. So you're not going to get the right consistency of the cake. So I just see that that was really emphasized as being important when you're making these cakes. So all of that to kind of lead into Rachel's cake baking extravaganza where she literally make all four of these cakes in one day. Um, and I am dying to hear about how it all went. <laughs> um, it was a bit crazy. So I guess we'll just start at the beginning. I started with looking for recipes. I knew I just wanted like a basic cake. I didn't want anything with different flavors or anything else. Um, so I ended up pulling recipes from a variety of sources, which kind of surprised me. Um, I ended up with a Food Network recipe, a King Arthur flour recipe, a New York Times recipe, and a Betty Crocker recipe. Wow. Yeah. But they all kind of looked, you know, standard plain cake recipes. Some of them had like filling or frosting recipes that got a little creative that went with them, but I was just making the cake. So when I also decided I was going to make six inch cakes, so that way I would have some batter left over to put into cupcakes and I could taste them without cutting into my cake. So I should have probably mentioned this one in the sweet and low segment because this was definitely my low. Um, the Genois came from Food Network. Um, I tasted all of the batters when they were raw and then tasted all the cakes when they were cooked. This one was very hard to fold in the flour. Um, it just, I kept folding and folding and folding <laughs> and it just was not going, it was not incorporating. Mm. So I eventually was like, okay, well, there's just like little bits of it here and there. So I'll leave it. Well, that was a bad idea because... When the cake cooked, it, there were still little bits of flour, and I just had to throw it away. Oh, no. So it had an eggy taste when it was raw and when it was cooked. All I could taste was like an egg flavor. The batter was the most bubbly of them all, um, I guess airy maybe. Um, and as I folded, you know, it got slightly deflated, but not very deflated. Okay. So that one, um, <laughs> I want to try again because... I wonder if the flour had been mixed in, if the eggy taste would have been tamed a little bit. Mm -hmm. Also, and just knowing, because I remember reading that Genoa has, it's a sponge cake, but with the butter in it. And it's yes. supposed to be, like, it's supposed to be pretty plain because you are using that, like, in multi-layer cake projects or something like that. So do you think it'd be different if you made it along with, like, a type of buttercream frosting or like a ganache to go with it or oh maybe you know what I mean maybe it was just because it was on its own yeah I'm wondering yeah so if I could get the flour in I was gonna try it um with the buttercream but I figured it wasn't worth um with the flour the way it was so yeah I want to yeah. make it again and try it I mean this recipe did give me um an option to use butter or to use more eggs and I knew that um this was the only one other than the butter cake that allowed butter so I went ahead and tried it with the butter option. Okay. The second cake I made was the chiffon cake. It had one of the best textures. And this is the only one that had like a, so there were two of them that had extract in it, but this one had vanilla extract and almond extract. So the batter oh. tasted fantastic, but I couldn't taste the almond once it baked out. Um, this cake also was more yellow in color once it was finished baking. And um, this one also, it had to be folded, but it wasn't hard to incorporate the flour. That one mixed up pretty well. The third one, um, Mike and I did a taste test, and this is was the sponge, um, which was my New York Times recipe. And he said it had the best taste. Um, it tasted just like eggs when it was raw, which I kind of imagine probably most cake batter does. It doesn't have like a flavor. Like this one, um, I think, had vanilla in it, but um, just a little okay. bit, just a fourth of a teaspoon. These cakes, <laughs> I guess, concave, like they sunk in in the middle and like puckered a little bit. Mm. Um, and then the cupcakes exploded out of their wrappers, like way over the top of the well. <laughs> so you so, had both. <laughs> yeah, it was bizarre. Um, but even with the way they looked, Mike thought they were the best tasting one. He's like, just fix it with more icing when you go to assemble the cake. I was like, yeah, that would work. So I, I was surprised that this was the best tasting one. I thought it was going to be the chiffon because of how the batter tasted when it was Yeah, raw. that's what I would have thought too. But that's interesting. So just the sponge was, yes. was the winner. Cool. And then I also, so I don't like pound cake. <laughs> and I've made pound cake a couple of times. And depending on the flavor, like I can eat it, but it's not like my favorite. It's so dense. Yeah. Um, so I made a, just a typical butter cake, like a, like a birthday cake, a yellow butter cake. Um, okay. That was my better Betty Crocker recipe. This one was the quickest cake to put together um, because I could just mix it, stir it. You didn't have to fold anything in. The batter tasted really good. It tasted like birthday cake, like straight up 
even when it was raw. Yum. And it was just like a good all around, like if you just want a quick, easy cake and you're going to put frosting on it, I think this is the way to go. I don't think you need a fancy genoise or chiffon. Like this was fine. Um, yeah. The sponge was better, but I don't know if it justifies <laughs> the extra like folding and preparation. So very interesting experiment. I lined them all up and Mike tasted them blonde. And yeah, I was, I was surprised. I thought for sure, like the genoise, because you hear about it all the time on TV, is going to be like the best. Um, and it may be once I can figure out how to incorporate the flour without deflating the thing. Yeah. How long did it take you to clean up your kitchen is what I'm really curious. It was about. not bad. Like Mike came in and he was like, holy crap, it's a mess. I said, yeah, but I made four cakes. He goes, oh, well, it's not that bad for four cakes. <laughs> <laughs> so I started with like um, the fussiest cake. And I forget now which one it was. It might have been the, no, I don't think it was a genoise. It, I think it might have been the chiffon. Um, and then just use the same bowl over and over again, just wiping it out. Um, mm. So once I got the cake that had that butter in it, I could use it for the other butter cake because it already had fat on the bowl. Gotcha. So that helped cut down on dishes. I started with an empty dishwasher, <laughs> which made a big difference. I could just load it as I went. Um, so it was not terrible. Okay, good. And so with your, like, I guess, style of baking, do you see yourself using more of like the butter cake as a base rather than like, like you said, going through the trouble of whipping the eggs for these other types of lighter cakes? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, it's just like, Maybe it's because I'm American. It's just your standard American cake. Like it's a quick <laughs> cake. It's nothing fancy. Maybe in the summer, if I want like something to layer with like fresh raspberries or something, I might make a lighter, fancier cake. But I think just as a normal cake, like, you know, if I want to make a cake this weekend, I think I'm probably going to go with the butter cake. With the butter cake. Yeah, that makes sense. My only real experience with, I haven't really made many sponge cakes, but in season... One, Tres Leches was on my yes. baking, my 20 and 20 baking list. And the first time I made it, I think the reason why I didn't get the right outcome is because that cake was already too dense to begin with. So it didn't allow for like um, soaking up the milk mixture. But that when I read, yeah, when I redid the cake, the cake base that I did from a different recipe mentioned that it was like a Genoise variation. And so I remember being really stressed about like whipping the eggs appropriately, but I was able to do it. And it, because it was so light and airy, it really soaked up the milk mixture nicely and the cake was delicious. So that's really the only time that I've made a, a sponge type of cake, but at least for the tres leches, I found that it was worth it because you kind of need that airy texture and like that yeah. plain kind of flavor to soak up the milk. And there was definitely a texture difference. Like the butter cake is not as dense as a pound cake, but it was definitely more dense than the others. Yeah. I also wanted to add that both of the chiffon and genoa recipes gave a chocolate version. So if I can get the Genoise to work out, I think I want to do it again <laughs> and make the chocolate version. <laughs> yeah, that might be your winner right there. Adding chocolate to anything, I think, would appease you a little bit. So <laughs> make it feel more worth it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, what an experience. I'm very proud of you for delving in and making all those cakes. Um I think it's very impressive. Yeah, I was scared at first, but like the more organized like I got with printing recipes and like putting things in order, it felt a lot more manageable. It's all in the prep work. Yes, definitely. Awesome. So have you made pound cake before? Is there something about pound cake you wanted to talk about? No, honestly, pound cake, just kind of like what you said, it's sort of plain. Yeah. So I don't normally, I don't think I, if I've made it, I think maybe once I made it, when I was home, like a lemon pound cake. But because I think both you and I gravitate towards richer flavors, like using a lot of chocolate, caramel, dulce de leche, like that doesn't really lend itself to something like a pound cake, I think. Like a pound cake seems like something, no hate to people who love pound cake, but something you would serve to like, <laughs> I don't know. Grandma. Like if you had your grandma over. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, and like, not even my abuela would eat the pound cake. I don't think she would want something. <laughs> so your my great your great grandmother. <laughs> yeah. My abuela would want something with more flavor. <laughs> so yeah, I just I don't think I really have much experience. Nor do I have a lot of 
urge to try to make it, but who knows? Maybe later on we'll try something with pound cake. Who knows? Yeah, and you said you haven't really made it much either, right? No, I've made it maybe a handful of times. I feel like I've made a lemon one. I remember in Pennsylvania making a peanut butter one because I remember Mike's coworkers being very impressed with the fact that it had like a peanut butter glaze on it. And I was just like, not anything special. <laughs> just peanut butter. <laughs> so yeah, I feel like that's probably the only two I've made maybe. Unpopular opinion, pound cake is kind of boring. Yes. <laughs> Let us hear your thoughts. Because <laughs> I believe Mara is a big pancake fan. Uh-oh. So maybe she can make a recipe that's going to convert us. Put us to shame, yeah. the baking lingo, B-I-Y stands for Bake It Yours. We love to customize and tweak recipes to make them what we really, really want. And in this segment, we propose to show you how to do just that. Well, I don't know if you've noticed, but whenever I'm responsible for creating an outline, I always give myself this transition. I just can't resist the opportunity for a Spice Girl reference. <laughs> the Spice Girl nostalgia is really strong with you. I can see it. <laughs> Not a bad thing, though. But you know what? Keep putting these Spice Girl references in the outlines because they make me smile. And I, who knows? You might have like a cult following of people who really love baking and Spice Girls and they live for listening to you make references to both in the podcast. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> uh, okay. So now that we've talked about Spice Girls at length, <laughs> um, Rachel, why don't you tell us about the video that served as the inspiration for this segment? I would love to. So I've tried to track this video down so we could share it in our show notes. And I can't get like a source for it. All I can get is like a Facebook page sharing it, but I can't find the like link for the video itself. Huh. Um, but it's a video, one of those Facebook cooking videos that like just music and people doing things to food. <laughs> so this is, <laughs> they take a plain sheet cake and use like a piping tip, but use the, the larger end of it to like poke holes in it or like when you fill a cupcake that kind of thing. Okay. Um, but they do it, you know, all the way across and down the sheet cake, making rows of like four servings, I think, and each serving has a little cutout. Then they go back in and they fill them with like cookies and cream or lemon curd or some kind of peanut butter mousse. Then they put the cake back on top, ice it. I want to say it's, mm, I think it is iced by row. So like whatever flavor complements whatever they just put in. And then it's topped with like whipped cream or another swirl of mousse or sprinkles or something that complements the filling. So you've got a sheet cake that has like four different flavors in it, which should be great for a party. You know, sometimes you make like multiple desserts for a party. Um, so there's something for everyone. Well, in this case, you just make one sheet cake with four different fillings and you've got something for everybody. That sounds super fancy. It looks, and it looks fairly easy. I mean, you're just carving up the cake basically and putting in whatever filling and you could use even like lemon curd. Like you could buy that in a jar. Yeah. So I think it could be cool. Um, I actually got a text from one of my coworkers saying, will you make this for us? And it was the video of the cake. Ah, so now you absolutely have to do right? it. And except she requested that I make a chocolate version, which I think would also be fun. That sounds really fun. Yeah, we'll have to hunt down this video. Wait, you were saying you couldn't find the video or you did I, find I, it? I can find it, but all I can find is like a Facebook page sharing it. Like when I click on it, you know, sometimes you can like click on it and go to like where it's hosted. I, I don't see. get anywhere. Yeah. Okay. But it does exist on Facebook. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's really cool. So maybe let's hear what you decided to make. This inspired the cake that you made, apparently. So it did. And I had this grand vision in my head of this amazing cake. Um, and then I was like, you know what? We're in a pandemic. There's nobody to eat a whole sheet cake. Um, so I modified <laughs> it. Um, but the, the vision I had in my head was a combination of two of the different cakes that are in the Snacking Cakes cookbook. Um, one is a chai spice cake and the other one is like an apple spice cake, um, that has slices of apples like laid on top of it before it bakes so that they like bake into the cake, but they're still on top. So my idea was to make like a checkerboard pattern so that some of the cake slices have apple and some don't. But in my real world, <laughs> I was like, nobody's going to eat this because it's so big. I just made an eight by eight cake and left off the apples because in an eight by eight cake, I would only have like three squares 
with the apple in it. And I just thought that would look too funny. Mm. So I made a chai spice cake, which was a variation of a cake already in snacking cakes because it was just a spice cake. And then several different variations had different spices you could add. But because we're obsessed with chai, I decided to go that route and add just a vanilla bean glaze on top, which was really pretty. That sounds really nice. Yeah. And I feel like with a spice cake, you could change up the frosting. You could, like I just did a glaze, but I think you could have easily done a buttercream or like a cream cheese, kind of like a carrot cake. So I think, and I, you know, I was thinking about this this morning. I think people don't expect much out of sheet cakes. So I feel like anything extra you do with them (laughs) is going to elevate them way beyond what people (laughs) are thinking you're bringing. So it's going to be like an instant wow factor, even if you're just um, adding a little decoration or adding a filling, which is unusual for a lot of sheet cakes. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I've, um, I was looking on Instagram at different sheet cakes. And I remember being so impressed by several of them only to find out that it's a lot of it is in the way that you're frosting the cake, for example, or maybe like buying sprinkles that are like extra fancy, but you're just like sprinkling them on top or, (laughs) um, you know, like very simple things to make it look fancy to spruce it up a little bit. Um, and how did it taste? Your cake. Oh, it was really good. I cut Mike a slice and you know, he doesn't have a large sweet tooth. Um, so I cut him a small slice and it was just a slice I was using to take photos with. And he took one bite of it and he's like, this is going to be your slice. I'm going to need a bigger piece. <laughs> so that was a good time. That's quite the compliment, especially from Mike. Yes. And I took it to work and it disappeared. So that was good. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad it was successful. Um, I'm glad you got to add some chai in there because I know you love chai. And I can't wait for you to make this cake for me when I come home someday. Definitely. (laughs) So tell us what you made. Um, So I think my cake ended up being more traditional. I made a vanilla-based cake with some raspberry jam that I had swirled in. And Mm -hmm. I made um, a lemon buttercream frosting on top. And so I came up with this cake by patching together different recipes that I love that I had made independently um, Mm -hmm. and just bringing them together. And I will say like the flavor of the cake was decent. I did, like you said, wanted to make it look a little fancier because sheet cake can be kind of basic. So what I did was that I made um, glazed lemons and I sugared some raspberries and put them on top for the decoration. So I think it looked really pretty. But what I wish I had done is maybe pushed myself to come up with different flavor pairings. I kind of hinted at this before, but the cake was like the most involved thing I made after having um, my baby. And so making it, I made the mistake of trying to make it during the weekday when I didn't have my husband, I didn't have Raul helping me out as much. Mm. So it was very like... um, Frankenstein together. Like I started (laughs) at noon and then she needed, you know, I needed to tend to her. So it took me like six or seven hours to get it all put together. So I would maybe try what I would like to do is try flavors that are a little bolder on a day where I have more help so that I can do it all in one sitting and not, you know, spread it out over the course of a day. But I mean, flavor wise, it was fine. I just, um, like you said, like sheet cakes, it's, there's an opportunity there to get creative with them. So I would love to redo it and just venture out a little more with flavors. But um, it wasn't terrible. It was fine. It was meh, like you said. Yeah. Like it was wasn't a low, yeah. wasn't a high. It was just meh. I was telling Mike the other day that I feel like the podcast is making me more, not necessarily snobby, but like I made a pie the other day. And it was good. It was okay. I sort of just like, it's not up to my standard. <laughs> and he's like, your standard. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to share it with people because I'm going to be embarrassed. He's like, it's a perfectly fine pie. And I was like, yeah, but it's just kind of, eh. It's yeah. a perfectly fine pie. You're right. It's not better than perfectly fine. <laughs> yeah, I totally relate to that. I think um, the podcast has, in a good way, pushed us to, I don't know, like there's like now a hunger like to improve and to be better. And we've made things that I think we've both been really proud of. So now, yeah, I think our standard is a little bit higher because we know what we're capable of. So when something comes out that 
is just fine. And it's funny, Raul has like the same reaction, like this tastes fine. Like it's good. And <laughs> like that isn't that, but that's not good enough anymore. Now we're right. like on this, on this quest for like the ultimate best of everything. So <laughs> yes, yes. Every pie that I make has to be the best pie of your life. Like <laughs> nothing is just perfectly fine anymore. That's a, that's a tricky road though, because I don't know for me, like this, this baking experience Maybe because it was, you know, I'm like getting back to the swing of baking now that I have a baby. It's, I need to be gentle with myself too. Like I was really hard on myself and like, this was not good. I need it to be better. And he was like, relax. Like this is the first time you've done this since you're having the baby. Like you're trying to juggle a bajillion things. Um, you don't have a lot of time to do research. So it'll get better once you get more settled. And he's right. And so it's funny. I guess we have to learn to balance like this drive to like, make these recipes and these desserts taste really amazing and delicious. And also knowing it's, it's a gradual process, I guess, getting yes. there. So, and in the end, there is nothing wrong with something being perfectly fine. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I think it both stems. That's like a personality trait that we both share. Like, I think we were both like perfectionists, especially in school, like anything academic, I was like, Yes. I need an A. I need an A. I need it to be like really, really good. And, and not like a 93. It has to be like a high yeah. A to a 100. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. It's like if it's below a 97, it's unacceptable. <laughs> <laughs> so let's circle back then. What would make your sheet cake be the best sheet cake ever? Like what flavors would you go with? Okay. Yes. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time moping and being like, I should have done this. So now that I've had some time, I think, um, I would love to do like something with coconut. I came up with mm. a lot of like tropical type things. So I was like chocolate and coconut could be a really cool um, like combination. Yes, exactly. You could even toast some coconut flakes to put on top. Ooh, yeah, um, I really wanted to do maybe a chocolate and dulce de leche, like a dulce de leche buttercream. Mm. Um, I also saw, I've never made this before, but a white chocolate buttercream frosting that you could also put on like a chocolate based cake. I've not when had it either, but that's interesting. Yeah. Doesn't that sound really good? I would love to try that. And when my mom was here, she, we had a pineapple that was like about to go bad and she just whipped up some like pineapple jam like nice. on a whim. Yeah. I was like, fancy mom. Um, so I was thinking maybe like a, a pineapple jam or like a guava paste in like a vanilla based cake. And then Ooh. you could add, yeah, some other kind of tropic, like some a dulce kind of leche rum. I think would be good. Yes. yes. Ooh, like a rum pineapple. Oh, that sounds really good. So there's a big wide world of flavors out there for sheet cake. So who knows? Maybe we'll revisit and I'll try it again with one of those flavor combos. I think that could be really fun. Yeah, we could make sheet cakes for days, I feel like. <laughs> Absolutely. It is time for a final March Madness update. You'll recall that throughout the month of March, we had numerous matchups of our favorite desserts as part of our Procrastinating March Madness Challenge. Our listeners voted for their favorites on social media, and we have an ultimate winner to announce. For this special occasion, I thought it would be fun to invite our producer, Raul, Hello. to help me announce the winner and just reflect with me on the outcomes. We are recording this at 8 p.m., which is funny because usually our baby doesn't go to bed on time, but mm -hmm. today she went to bed just fine, so we have some time to do this and record. Yes. Welcome, Raul. Hello. Thank you for having me. Obviously, I'm not Rachel, so <laughs> I will do my best to fill her shoes, uh, which is a very difficult task. Yeah. Yes. Luckily, we managed to find some time to do to do this in between baby duties. But uh, <laughs> yeah, here we are. So we are sleep deprived, yeah. so we are going to sound a little. Yes, tired. this is probably what the fourth time we've done this intro. <laughs> To be, I mean, full transparency, we've recorded this intro a few times already. <laughs> so, but Hashtag push, new parents. Yeah, pushing through, the show must go on, right? Okay, so I want to talk about the semifinals first before we talk about our champion. Uh-huh. Um, so can you tell us, refresher, which desserts made it to the semifinals? So the, uh, the desserts that made it to the semifinals, so we had one matchup between the quesitos and the PB&J cupcakes. And uh, the PB&J cupcakes completely demolished the quesitos. 
in that one. Dang. Actually, is that what you expected? Um, I don't know. It's hard. Honestly, I really love the PB&J cupcakes. That's like one of my favorite, one of my favorite things that you've baked. Yeah. Because they're so good. Um, Tell kinda, me more about uh, how amazing I am. <laughs> don't push it. <laughs> more. Uh, no, I'm kind of craving PB&J right now, actually. Um, but I don't know. It was hard because the quesitos, that's like nostalgic for me. You know, growing up and visiting Puerto Rico and like, you know. So I don't know, maybe in a biased way, I kind of wanted the kind of wanted the quesitos to win. Yeah. But those cupcakes are pretty damn good. So, yeah, I, I can see that. What about you? Um, Was I surprised? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, Rachel and I had talked about how the theme of this was like cheese. A lot of the cheese related things were winners. Mm. So I guess I thought maybe that would carry the quesitos all the way to the end. Yeah. But alas. PB and J won out over cheese. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> it's fine. No, I actually was okay with that. Um, okay, what about the Matilda cake versus the cobbler? Okay, so that was the second matchup in the semifinal. So we had the Matilda cake, the scrumptious, delicious Matilda cake versus the equally delectable uh, blueberry peach cobbler. Delectable is uh, a nice word. I love, uh, yeah, I love using that word. Any <laughs> chance I get to use the word delectable. Um, Can you say, like, the weather is delectable today? <laughs> I do not think it applies in that in that case, no. That's too bad. Uh, no. Or, like, your outfit looks delectable today. No. Yeah, so, I mean, as far as what I want, I don't know if these are so hard. Here's the deal. I... You made all of these, and so I've tasted all these. You know, all all the ones in the semifinals are are ones that you have baked. So I've had the lucky opportunity to taste all these, and they're all so freaking good. I mean, there's a reason why they're all they all ended up in the semifinals. I mean, I mean, granted, people were judging based on based on what they saw in the pictures. You know, all the people on social media. Yeah. But I mean, they. I mean. They taste just as good as they look, people. I mean, they they really do. So, I will say, can I interrupt you for yeah, a second? Yeah, yeah. I will say that I I honestly thought that Rachel's babka, I love, I love the way her babka turned out. Yeah. I was very surprised that the babka did not make it to the semifinals because honestly, I think it should have. It probably should have taken the place of one of those two. Um, because yeah. it was so beautiful. It looked, yeah. I mean, it looked, it looked. I, unfortunately, I couldn't. We didn't have the chance to eat it because no. we're like, you know, over two thousand miles away. But yeah, it looked delicious. Yeah, it looked really it good. Looked really, that one deserved um, to. Rachel, your babka deserved to be in the semifinals. Yes, it did. Just saying. Yeah, and that was in the matchup right before the semifinals. It was the babka and the cobbler, and then the cobbler ended up taking that that one. But yeah, so down to the cake, the Matilda cake and the cobbler. Oh man, that cobbler was good. It was good, huh? It was it was so good. See, and I'm the kind of, I don't know, it's I you know, Luisa already knows this, but I'm I feel like cobbler and like pie in general are such an underrated type of dessert. I just I feel like there's never enough pie to go around or enough cobbler to go around. I feel like nobody nobody does that. Oh, you know what I could you, you know what I could have? I could have a pie. Nobody says that. So I You feel, say that. I say that, but nobody <laughs> else says that. I love pie and cobbler. Um I don't know. So this maybe, is like a huh? this is like a bat signal to all the pie lovers out there. Right? Yeah, man. I mean, come on. Contact let's you. let's all the all the all you pie and cobbler people. Come on, speak up here, because uh, pie and cobbler is not getting nearly as much uh, love and respect as it deserves. Because uh, sometimes I don't know. Maybe one of these days, one of these years, I'll I'll ask for a birthday pie. Oh, maybe yeah. I'll make it for you. Then. Take that birthday cake. How about a birthday pie? All right, I have derailed this completely. Okay, so... This past, can I tell a funny story uh, about baking? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> you can cut this out okay. if you want. Um, funny story, Raul's last birthday, his birthday is in October. Um, I was like eight months pregnant, and I was like, I cannot really stand in the kitchen long enough to make a cake. So I made you those cream oh, cheese cookies. Yes. Those cream cheese um, pumpkin, pumpkin snickerdoodles. Pumpkin snickerdoodles filled with cream cheese or like some sort of cream cheese filling. <laughs> oh, they're so good. They're so good. Well, I made the first batch of them, right? <laughs> and I put them on the table and then 
I had a kitchen klutz moment and I knocked over, I think it was like a plate and the glass, whatever. And the glass broke all over the cookies. We couldn't eat them because it like blended in with the sugar. You like couldn't tell if it was glass or sugar. I don't know. Hey, come on. I mean, sometimes you need just a sprinkle of glass shards to cover your pumpkin cream cheese snickerdoodles. You were fully prepared to eat them that way, but I I, had to remake them. And I still feel... I still feel like like I was picking them out. Like I'm pretty sure I got everything out. Like there was no the glass shards weren't that small. I mean, like, I was picking them out. They were all gone. You could have died on your birthday. I was looking at them. I was like, I got it all out. Like there's no more glass shards. And and you were like, no, I'm I'm just gonna throw the whole thing out. The whole pan. Moral of the story: If you the think whole there's, pan if out. If you think there's glass in your baked goods, just start over. There was, there wasn't, but I don't know. Okay. It was safer. Anyway. I, felt, I felt bad because then she had to make them again. It was fine. I told her not to. I told you not I'm to make them. I'm just the best wife ever. I do. Okay. You are a good wife. You're a great wife. I appreciate it. So, we're now ready to talk about the winner. The winner. So, the winner. So, yes. So, it came down to the Matilda cake which beat out the cobbler. Uh, unsurprisingly, because that was delicious. So the it came down to the Matilda cake versus the PB and J cupcakes. So, and the winner of that one ended up being by a landslide. This is a drum roll. Uh, okay, thank you. A landslide. Keep going. Uh, the Matilda cake. The hey! Matilda cake won the Procrastinate Baking March Madness Championship. Uh, Matilda cake is the winner. Uh, how do you feel about about this this win? I, you know, I feel pretty good. I was yeah. very proud of that cake. I do think it's funny because um, I think it beat out some other things that I thought would have made it to the end, like the chai cheesecake, maybe. Or I mean, I, I mentioned the babka. I mean, the alfajores made it pretty far. Yeah. The so brown butter brownies made it pretty far. Yeah, but honestly, I feel very happy with that result. I think um, Rachel and I talked about just how, uh, you know, it it also was probably helped a little bit by the fact that people know what the Matilda cake is supposed to look like. So, mm. and it's just gooey and chocolatey and huge and the kind of cake you want to eat like on Friday after you get home from work. And it, you're exhausted. It, it is a visual delight. Yeah. that cake. It is very you know. I mean, and of course you you made it to model it after the. The Matilda cake from the movie, Matilda. Right. Uh, so, like, uh, you know, it's... And that cake, I mean, there's no denying that cake. That scene is ingrained in my memory because that cake looks so delicious. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's something visual about that cake. The way the, the, the what do you call it? The, the icing is, like, the frosting is, like, spread on. And it's just kind of, oh, it looks great. Yeah, it's just a, a messy, delicious cake, I think. Yeah, yeah. I love it. So, yeah, thank you to everyone for voting. It was really fun to check in each day and see which desserts were uh, the winners and everyone's favorites. And also, this was just a fun way for us to celebrate some baking successes. Hmm. So we hope we get to do this again next March. All right. It's time for our first segment featuring Procrastinating Book Club. This year's book pick is 100 Cookies by Sarah Kiefer. You can read and bake along with us by sharing your photos and using the hashtag Procrastinating Book Club. Lou, I've seen some of your photos and it looks like you've gotten a good start on the book. Tell us what you think. I am loving this book so far. Um, so far, I have made two recipes from the book. I made the brownie cookies, which were really good, had a great consistency. I love how like wrinkled on the top they yes. they looked. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love a good wrinkle on a cake. Not in my own skin, but on a on a, yeah. <laughs> I love a good wrinkle. <laughs> wrinkles and cookies and baked goods are wonderful. Um, but I should have used the Dutch cocoa instead of the natural cocoa. Um, I just overlooked that part. They were still good with the natural cocoa powder, but they would be even better with the Dutch cocoa. Mm. And yeah, like they were, they were really good. I sent them to my friend Eve and she approved. Um, my favorites so far, I mean, I've only made two, but I think the Neapolitan cookies are going to be 
one of my top cookies for a long time. They were so fun. Thank you. They were so fun to make um, and very aesthetically pleasing when they come together. Again, like the texture. I love a good chewy cookie. I know you do too. And the texture was just perfect. Um, I did need to add food coloring to like boost the strawberry, the, Mm -hmm. the pink color. And um, I did need to bake it a few minutes longer than what she suggested because they were a little too gooey at the beginning for my taste at least, but they were so good. And I don't know. I was really proud of the way they came out and I was very meticulous with them. Like normally with cookies, I'm just tossing and kind of being a little, you know, but with these, I, I took out my scale and I made sure that like the three different doughs weighed the same amount. And even like with the individual pieces, cause you're combining the three types of dough together into one ball of, of cookie dough. I even measured those out to make sure it was like the same proportions, but it was worth it. So it's a little time consuming, but worth it in the end. Um, so I'm super excited to keep going and trying uh, some of the, the pan banging cookie recipes that she has in there. Yeah. I think that's what she's known for. So I'm impressed so far though. Yeah. This is a beautiful book and your cookies. I mean, they look like they came right out of the book. So that's a good thing. Have you made any yet from the book? Uh, Yesterday I did. I made the pan banging oatmeal cookies. Um, And she does say in there that the oatmeal cookies get less ripples than the other pan banging cookies do. I don't know. I'm torn on these. I will tell you this. Mike likes um, chocolate chip oatmeal cookies, and he did not like these. Mm. And the pan-banging cookies say that they're, like, crispy on the outside and soft on the inside. So when I read that, I was like, I don't like crispy cookies. But I was like, but, like, if it's just the first bite that's crispy and then, like, the rest of it is soft, like, I can deal with that. But I felt like these were work to get to the middle. The middle was really good. But they were too crispy on the outside. Um, So I wondered maybe if I cooked them too long. Um, although they were still gooey when I pulled them out, which is what the instructions say, like the outside should be set, but the middle should still be gooey. It sounds like we're both noticing the same thing that they need more time in the oven than what the recipes are indicating. I had the same experience. Yeah. I'm wondering if maybe the baking times are off. So they were good, um, flavor wise. I mean, I've eaten four of them in two days, so I can't complain about them too much. Um, (laughs) But I'm not going to make them again. They're not something I'll, I'll make again. Okay. But I am very excited for this book. I really, really want to make the brownie cookies. Um, I want to make the peanut butter variation. And I also want to make them plain and make them with the cardamom buttercream. That just mm. sounds really good to me. I have like tabbed so many cookies in here. I want to make her toasted sesame cookies just so I can make my sesame prediction um, back in January come true. But it's <laughs> going to be a food trend. And I think this is the book that has like the basil brownies, right? Did you see those? Oh, I did not. But that sounds really interesting. Basil yeah. brownies. Basil brownies. I'm slipping through to see if I can find it. Yeah, a lot of her. So I'm not a big brownie person. I will eat them. And since I've started making them, I like them more. Um, but her brownie section really kind of captivated me. Like the peanut butter marshmallow brownies, the cinnamon roll blondies. The chocolate basil brownies, like those are what I've got really marked that I want to make. wish list? Yes. <laughs> I do love how the book is divided. Like she gives you the traditional go-to recipes, like your basic chocolate chip, your basic sugar. And then as you go further in, it's like more interesting combinations. Yes which I think is is really cool. So it's like, if you want to play it safe, if you want to find like your go-to basic recipe, start here. And if you want to, I think of you, like when I see like the sections that are like cool, unusual flavor combos or ways to make things more interesting, she has that too. So a little bit of everything. Yeah, I'm excited to, to bake more of this book. Yeah, so we'll keep updating you guys. And we do have, um, we are posting these on social media. So hopefully if you guys bake along with us, if you have the cookbook and you bake along with us, um, we would love to see what you're making as well. So share pictures, tell us how it goes. Yeah. Let us know if you have the same, um, bake time conundrum. Yes. Yeah. That would be good to know. Thank you for listening to this episode of Procrastinating. We hope we provided some food for thought for your next Procrastinating project. As always, the links and photos discussed in this episode can be found in our show notes. Procrastinate with us on Facebook and Insta while you wait for our next episode to rise. 
We release new episodes first and third Fridays on your favorite platform. Tune in to the next batch of Procrastibaking for a review of our culinary trip to France, recipes featuring cereal, and an on-air segment starring a dessert from The Princess and the Frog. Until next time, stay sweet! sweet. This has been Procrastibaking. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a good review. You can also subscribe to us on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and many more. You can also subscribe to our RSS feed directly from our website at procrastibakingpodcast.com. Also, feel free to follow us and give us your feedback on social media, on Instagram at, at procrastibakingpodcast and Facebook at facebook.com slash procrastibakingpodcast. If you'd like to share your procrastibaking stories and photos with us, you can send an email to procrastibaking at yahoo.com. Procrastibaking is hosted and created by Rachel Rhodes and Luisa Gonzalez, produced and edited by Raul Ceballos, theme music by Alex Walker. Smith and show artwork by Rob Demers. Yeah.